6. It is a story of a judge named Gideon and how God used him to do some amazing things. I hope you'll be blessed. I like uh, the story of Gideon, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, Gideon in just a bit. But I, I want to introduce, for those of you who don't know me, many of you do. Many of you served in some ministries we've done together. I know I've seen a couple of my fellow servants who would go to Mexico and help out with the orphanages down there. Some of you who would hang out with the, at the Kern County Fair booth and tell people about Jesus. What we do last year was a little bit different, but we light the night booth and those type of things, those type of ministries. So blessed and just to be able to do some of those things. And I don't know if anybody's in here when we were, I was in the children's ministry and we were doing children's ministry together, perhaps that's where I started. And so I've progressed through the ages of the high schoolers that are in the high school now. I was with them in the elementary ages as well. It's interesting to see the wisdom of our pastor to, to have me walk through some of these kids' lives only to see myself progress in, in these ways as well. One of the things I'm blessed with is on Monday nights when the men go have fellowship in the cafe and the women over there and the youth in the 600 building. I am so blessed because I see it's the next generation of our church and to be able to go through the scriptures with them in my my assignment is to go through the entire New Testament, Matthew through Revelation in six years, as in to say, if they're in junior high, by the time they get through their senior year, they have gone through the whole New Testament in great detail. That, as there's a, not a joke, it's probably more real that I'll never, I'll never get through it in six years, more like seven or eight years. But so those who maybe have to do a grade twice, they'll get through it, but we're having fun doing it. And the reason I mention that is a little bit about my, the sermon tonight is one of the things we do for the high school is that we have devotions. I, ha I encourage them to plan a, a devotion, something that they can spend a couple minutes or five minutes or whatever it is and share a scripture and then talk about it. Start off with, some of them may not know how to do it. So I say, give me a scripture that's important to you. Share something about that scripture. Tell us how it affects your life. And maybe it's about your testimony. Maybe it's something that will encourage me and others as well. So in saying that, me being here tonight, I'm going to do such that such things as that. I'm trying to, I'll, <laughs> I will encourage you with some of these things as well. because when I encourage the high schools to, to create a testimony, to step out of their comfort zone in order to be able to prepare a message. It's not easy to share a message with their peers, to be able to study and to pray and to do all those things. And so I encourage them to step out of their comfort zone. So likewise, I'm here tonight stepping out of my comfort zone because I'm not usually up here as many of you. That's why I like the story of Gideon because he is the least of the least. We'll get into that. But uh, why it's important to me, we'll get into that, the understanding of grace, help you understand your knowledge of scripture, and to grow in your faith by maybe perhaps stepping out of your comfort zone. Gideon, the mighty man of valor, hiding in the wine press. And what does God do? He takes him out of his comfort zone. There was a quote in, the, in our a staff meeting room. Well, I was part of that. And on the wall, and it's a joke, I say, because jokes are funny when they're half truth, is that, and it was one of those quotes by Stuart Smalley for self-affirmation to make himself feel good about himself. And it was, I'm good enough 
I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me. In a sense, that was a quote for me because there's sometimes maybe I don't think I'm qualified to even be up here or to do the different ministries that I've been a part of, but God has blessed me. And I always say that I have a helper in everything that I do. And I do. It's the Holy Spirit and God in everything that I do. So it's, he gets the glory in all things. So this story of Gideon, the why it's important to me is because it was one of the first messages that I heard as a brand new baby Christian back in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa in the first part of 2002. It was something I could relate to as a brand new Christian who had lots of questions and was skeptical about every answer. And my skepticism plays a part into me giving my life to Christ. It was a couple days before that sermon on Sunday morning or Sunday night that someone invited me to a new believers Bible study on Friday night. And it was one of those things where you meet in the sanctuary, there's a message given, and then we all broke up into different classrooms. And it was at that time, as I mentioned, it was 2002, shortly after the attacks of 9-11. Thousands of people were coming to Christ at that time. And so Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa was very busy with new believers. I wasn't part of that group. I was the false love group, which someone invited me to church. First part of so December or January of 2002. But in the classroom, they were talking about spiritual warfare and about all kinds of heavy subjects. And I'm like, I don't even understand these things. And so once again, more questions and skeptical about the answers and this idea that Jesus is God in the flesh. That was a, I mean, whoa, where, does it, where in the Bible does it say that, teacher? And uh, he, he never gave me the answer to that question. But uh, what he did say is that uh, I'm a sinner. I broke God's rules. I need to receive Jesus to get to heaven. And he asked me if I would like to pray. I said, yes. And so we prayed, and that was the start of my walk with God. But uh, he never did answer my question about where is Jesus in the Bible, or where does Jesus say he's God in the Bible? Well, now I can tell you. So if you have any questions about that, it's obviously there's many places in the Bible that talks about it. But let's get into our scripture for tonight, which is Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and I just pray that your words would speak clearly to each and every one here. We thank you and praise you, and I pray that you would just be able to help us to understand deeper things about your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. Because of their disobedience, the Israelites would be terrorized by a people Joshua was supposed to drive out of the land. The Midianites, along with others, would steal everything, 
And where did these Midianites come from? And why were they so eager to steal from the Israelites? It says there in Genesis chapter 25 who these guys are. After Sarah died, Abraham married another wife whose name was Keturah. And she gave birth to several children, one of them named Midian. In Abraham, verse 5, says this, Abraham gave everything he owned to his son Isaac. But before he died, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them off to the land in the east, away from Isaac. So there may have been some sibling rivalry, something to do with that, maybe a little jealousy or something. But uh, those Midianites, they wanted something. They wanted the food. They wanted everything. So verse 6 back in Judges says, So Israel was, was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. So for seven long years, this rebellious nation, the Israelites, were stubborn, rebellious against the things of God. They tried to solve their problems on their own strength, their own wisdom. But many challenges were brought out because of that. John Jones taught a message on Sunday morning. What was it? Anybody know? Anybody here on Sunday morning? Submission. Israelites were not submissive. It is difficult often to be submissive to the will of God. Amen? So we can relate. Verse 8, he says, He said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you about of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you and drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord gives him a clear message. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is what we call a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus before he was born. This year is probably about 1200 BC, 1200 years before he's born. And so God says to you and to me, I rescued you from your selfish, sinful ways. I set you free from the bondage of sin. I told you how to make good choices. Yet we still rebel. But the good news is this. Like Gideon, who he sees not as a coward hiding from the Midianites, but as a mighty hero. He sees not us not as sinful, rebellious people, but as righteous, Jesus-loving. So verse 11 goes on to say, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a great tree in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord 
is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? As I mentioned before, I can relate to Gideon. Lots of questions and skeptical of every answer. Where are the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? So Gideon heard about all the miracles, yet didn't see God in his present situation. He didn't see the one standing before him having a conversation. I could talk about the many times God was with me before I even knew him, yet I didn't see him. Perhaps you're the same. Verse 14 says this, then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Go with the strength you have. Get in. Get out of your comfort zone. There's something important that needs to happen. Notice that the Lord didn't respond to his questions. Perhaps some of you have unanswered questions tonight. Maybe there's some reservations about following God. Maybe there's some reservations about how to serve or should I serve. And he would say to you and to me, go with the strength you have. I am sending you. And Gideon's response should have been, yes, Lord, on my way. I'm there for you. You've done so much for me, and but no, that's not what Gideon does. He does what oftentimes we do. He has some significant excuses to air out. Verse 15 says, But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. Yet I am the least in my entire family. Why choose me? The three top excuses for Christians not to engage in their faith. I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. And there are plenty of other people who are more passionate, more willing, more capable. Why me? Go with the power I've given you. Fear not, for I am with thee, God would say. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Show me a sign. And as I'm hearing this message as a brand new Christian, I'm talking two days old as a brand new Christian, like Gideon, I too want a sign. As I hear Chuck Smith tell about this story at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I want a sign. If the Bible says it's true, it's got to be true. If God, if you're real, 
then and you have Gideon asked for a sign, I too want a sign to know that you are real. So what kind of sign? Make it evident. I don't know what kind of sign, Lord. Just give me a sign. And I don't want a vague one. I want one that's evident. Back in Gideon, Gideon says, verse 18, don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. So Gideon gathers a bunch of food, some supplies, brings it back. And verse 20 continues, the angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of his staff in his hand, and the fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. That must have been impressive. That's a cool sign. You've got to believe now, right, Gideon? There'd be no way that his faith would lack after such an amazing scene. When Gideon realized, verse 22, that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I am doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And it says, it's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. So he knows now not only God is real, but he's willing to prove that he is. The Lord told Gideon, step out of your comfort zone and tear down the altars of Baal and Ashtoreth, those sexual idols and instead built an altar to the Lord, which he did. In a sense, you can't save the people. You can't save the Israelite from the enemies on the outside of the walls until you get rid of the enemies on the inside of the walls. Your sin. Gideon, be brave. You will not die. It's a bold move. It's a brave thing for him to do. And it's going to require a great deal of courage. And Gideon, just so you know, when you tear down these altars of Baal and Astrith, the people are going to be really mad and they're going to want to kill you. But he did it anyways. He was faithful. On the following day, the people wanted to kill him. So once again, back in 2002, as I hear something like this, I can relate. Oh, the enemy on the outside versus the enemy on the inside. I need to go home and clean house. Not wash windows and dishes, but get rid of all the stuff that's ungodly. Clean house. And this message doesn't go away. I need to continue to clean house. I need to continue to keep cleaning. Jesus would say we are clean. But our feet need to be washed. As we walk through life, we can lose focus and step off course and go through things that we shouldn't. Walk in places that we shouldn't. We sin. Our feet are dirty. We need to be washed. Thank you, Jesus, for continuing to minister to us in that way, as we need to walk the straight path. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. Amen. So we pick back up in our story here in verse 33. Soon afterwards, 
the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. The first one to show up after Gideon blows the horn was Abiezer. That's the correct pronunciation, I'm sure, perhaps. Actually, it's close. Pull up a Hebrew version of that. And it's a little bit different. And if you read it correctly, it's Abi Hazre. Ah, and what it means? My father's help. My father is help. So Gideon, clothed with power, blew a horn, summoned an army from Abi Hazre. My father is help. And he shows up. So for you and for me, when there's challenges that seem so great that we can't, the excuses are piled up, blow the horn for battle and our father, who is our helper, will show up. Gideon had a sizable army, we read. And then he doubts. Lord, was that really what I saw? <laughs> I know there was promises, doubts about belief. Is there anyone here that has doubts about God? Is there anyone here that has doubts about God's promises? Doubts about what we believe? Doubts about if we're doing God's will? Doubts about if you're even going to heaven? You're not alone. But the opposite of this doubt is to be confident, be certain, be confident. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am certain, confident, that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That is a great promise, and we can hold on to that. That's something we need for our confidence. So if you're doubting, Hold on to that scripture, Philippians 1.6. It's important. So back in Judges chapter 6, verse 36 says, Then Gideon said to God, Huh, no doubting. If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you have promised, prove to me in this way. I will put a wolf fleece on the, fle on the threshing floor tonight. And if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you have promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early in the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung it out, a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, I know that was a miracle, and I know that I should believe. However, I still doubt. God, like me too? Gideon. Me and Gideon are like, I doubt. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough and doggone people. Eh. Then Gideon said to God, 
Please don't be angry with me. But let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece one more time. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground is wet with dew around it. So that night, God did. As Gideon asked, the fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. What a cool message that was. What a cool message for a brand new Christian to hear back in 2002. And so as I mentioned before, God, I believe I accepted you as Lord and Savior. But I want a sign. I want a sign to know that you are real. Because I have doubts. There's many religions out there. Why is the Christian religion the correct one? Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And that was the scripture that somebody gave me to introduce, to bring me to church. She, she introduced me and said, what religion are you? And I said, I'm not. And I believe in a big umbrella guy that all religions, as long as you're good, you go to heaven. She says, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And I say, okay, what church do you go to? And she says, Calvary Chapel. I said, okay, let me, I'll go to Calvary Chapel and find out what it's about. But anyways, and I had many doubts even then. I think I, my intentions at that time were to point out perhaps some flaws of Chuck Smith and how quickly it pointed out to me. But as we're going to church, I wanted a sign to know if this person who brought me to church if I should pursue her romantically. Because before that, I wasn't a Christian. I had a bunch of friends who were ungodly and it wasn't, wasn't good, wasn't, it was sinful. Now I'm different. I'm a new creation in Christ. I need to behave different. But am I to pursue this friend who brought me to church? She was single as well and she was pretty. Lord, give me a sign to know if I'm to pursue this woman in that way. And the following week, the very following week, we're going to church and she has a son. He's getting ready to turn two years old and we take him to class. And the lady at the checkout who's checking him in says, oh, I haven't met your husband before. I said, oh, uh, no, we are just friends. We're not even dating. <laughs> That's funny. And, but the reality is I go back to Lauren and said, that was not a sign. I want a big sign. That was a coincidence. That was perhaps some confusion. I want a big sign. So that was a Sunday when we go to this, another of these new believers Bible studies. Now I'm going to go in my own type of class because they're, they're all different and different ages type of thing. I go to a class, a new class, and she's in her class. And when we get out, we meet up and my teacher now says to us. Oh, I didn't know you guys were married. Lord, that is not a sign. I want a big sign. I want something that's significant. Because once again, we had to explain it. Oh no, we are just friends. We're not even dating. Yeah, not so much. So this is, oh, once again, first part of January of 2002. I don't know, it's probably about January 15th that I gave my life to the Lord. And so it's probably January 20th or so, 20, maybe first part of February. 
of that year. And now, so I get a, some suggestions that maybe I should pursue her in there, this romantic relationship. And Valentine's Day is coming up. Huh, we just had Valentine's. Valentine's Day is coming up. And I'm going to ask her out on a date. I say, I called her up and said, you got any plans? <laughs> you got any plans for 14th? She says, no. Would you like to make some? And she, we're on the phone. And there's Nokia cell phone. And I think those old phones, they don't work very well because I got a dial tone. Hello? Anybody there? No. No, she called me back. And it, it actually worked. So the girls in here are saying, that was a cheesy line. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. And the boys in here are like, oh, that's a good one. Where's my notebook at? <laughs> it worked for me. So we had a date planned and it was going to be for February 14th. And now it was one of those things that, uh, where, where do we go for? Because she's now once again, her little child, Lance, is now a big child. But he uh, is too. So how about this? How about we go to SeaWorld? Yeah, all of us will go to SeaWorld. It'll be like a big date, and that'll be fun. And so one of the things that happened, I was in, in, in my mind, I'm still looking for that sign, that big sign. Not a, I want a big hammer to hit me. Said, that's the one. So I don't have, any, I don't have a sign yet. I'm just kind of going with, going with it. And we go to meet up that morning, and I'm dressed for SeaWorld date, and I've got some shorts and some just regular casual. And, she was dressed up nice and really nice. And so we're definitely mismatched. And is that a sign? <laughs> Maybe I should be, I don't know. I'm awkward, but uh, I, we actually go to the store and buy new clothes so I can dress like her. So we would dress nice on our first date and uh, we're headed down to SeaWorld and I'm driving and this is before GPS was a thing. And so you had to look at uh, this Thomas guide, which you flip through the page, you flip through the pages. I know you guys know, maybe some of you know about it, maybe not. You, you follow the plan and you turn to page 56 and you keep going and you turn to, no, anyways, so you make your way down to SeaWorld. Well, on the I-5 freeway, there's this thing that you divide and you got one freeway going this way and the other, and you got to stay on the I-5. I was in the far left lane and every, all the traffic's doing about 80, 85, which is part of the, what's the speed you're going at that time. And I realized that the freeway is splitting. And I've got to get over three lanes and I got to get over kind of fast. There's a bunch of traffic here, but there's an opening about maybe four or five cars up. So I speed up a little bit and cruise right over. I get in that lane. No problem. However, whoop, highway patrolman on a motorcycle pulls me over. I don't know how fast I was going, but it was bad. I know it was bad because everyone's doing 85 to begin with and to speed up to pass up a few cars and get over. It was bad. And uh, he pulls two people over at the same time. He pulls me and this other guy over and he goes and talks to that person first. He goes and spends a couple minutes with that guy. He comes back and he has his keys in his hands. The, and he says, can you believe that? Guy has no driver's license, no insurance, no registration. He's going to jail. You got your license, registration, and insurance. And he says, yeah. Funny thing, officer, I, uh, I actually lost my wallet. Yeah, I'd never been to jail before. <laughs> I actually had, though, I had current, I had insurance, and I had a driver's license, and I had everything. I just lost my wallet. I had my wallet inside the pocket of my door. And uh, I have, I, wisdom, 
says, I need to bring something. So I pulled out my expired driver's license from when I was 16, had a funny looking mustache and I gave that to him and I found an expired insurance card. It's, it was current though. I just, it's current officer, I promise. And then Joy is, who's the one who we're going with. And she's looking through my glove box, through the mess that's in there, trying to find some registration. And we never did find that. And he goes back to his motorcycle and makes some phone calls and finds out if I'm really a bad guy or not. Sure enough, he comes back to the car and says, step out of the car, please. Ah, this is going to be a bad day. And here's my sign. I'm thinking to myself, okay, Lord, I will never talk to this woman again. I'm sorry. I even pursued such a thing. And the officer pulls me out. And I don't know about you guys, if you ever perhaps got pulled over in such a way, hopefully not, because you guys are all saints here. And normally I've had the conversation like, are you having a bad day? You're going to tell yourself and maybe some others type of conversation. But the last person I saw doing this speed, we had to get the corner out type of thing. So he's scare tactic, right? He said none of that. This officer who pulled me over on this motorcycle, he, we were about 20 feet in front of my car and he says, where are you going? And I'm visioning what's going to take place is I'm going to be seeing the inside of San Diego Police Department really soon. So I didn't have the best of attitude. And I said, we're going to SeaWorld. And he says, oh, okay. Do you work? I'm thinking, yeah. And he says, well, what do you work at? At that time, I worked at Boot Barn in Southern California. And he goes, I work at Boot Barn. And he says, oh, I purchased some boots at Boot Barn. I like the boots. And I'm thinking, this is a strange conversation. And he goes and starts talking about the boots that he got. And I, yeah, it's the boot. And he, I know about that one. And then he says, where do you go to school? I said, yeah. He goes, what school do you go to? And I said, Cypress College down there in Cypress. And he says, what classes are you taking? I'm taking business and all the different counting and several cl classes like that. And he goes, oh, what do you plan on doing? He starts asking me all these questions. And we're having a, a conversation on the side of the I-5 freeway as 85-mile traffic is going by. I'm thinking to myself, am I going to jail or not? But we're talking. And then he says something shocking. He says, I've been doing this for a long time. He's an older guy. I don't know, he's gray hair, motorcycle cop. I've been doing this for a long time. And I am a pretty good judge of character. And you seem like a pretty good guy. Yeah, I, I am. I don't deserve the ticker for doing all that. But And I don't know about your relationship with the women inside your car. But just in this short interaction that we've, you've, we've been together, you make a great couple. Have you considered marriage? Thought about it? This is our first date. Hi. All right. So he says, go back to the car. I'll be with you in a minute. He's going to make some arrangements for the previous guy, or the guy in front, whatever, however that works. And he still has my, he tells me to go back to the car and wait. Okay. And so I don't have a, I'm sure I don't have a poker face for those who know me. So I get in the car and I'm probably shocked at what the conversation just took place. And Joyce says to me, what did he say? Nothing. And what took place was I said, I don't think I'm going to get a ticket. And said, Why not? I don't know. Let's find out. And he shows up and 
he comes over, he says, and he, he's talking to Joy, and he leans in the window and says, ma'am, we have a problem here. Mike here is a convicted felon. He has a stolen car. He's robbed a bank, and he's escaped from jail. You believe me? He's got a smile on his face, and no, yeah, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Mike here's a really good guy, he says. The officer on the side of I-5 freeways, traffic is going, he's a really good guy. As a matter of fact, me and Mike have something in common. As he pulls out my expired registration card and expired driver's license, we have the same middle name. It's Ralph. And <laughs> Ralph is symbolic of wolves. And wolves, believe it or not, are monogamous in their relationships in the wild. So he's, he's telling me this highway is really funny. So we go about our day because he lets us go. No ticket. And it was fantastic. So I was, praise the Lord for that. But I got my sign. It was really interesting. Even more than that, he wrote his name on my expired insurance card. Strange. And even now, it's been 20 years. I look back at that. Why would he write his name on my expired insurance card? I lost the card since I wouldn't even be able to look it up. But I always question that. God's going to give me a sign. I wish I would have followed through with it and called. I wish I would have called the San Diego Highway Patrol and asked for that officer. Because I only imagine... I don't know. I know I, they probably could. And here's the thing though. I can only imagine if I was to make that phone call, they would say, he doesn't work here. An angel perhaps in disguise to give me a sign like that. Whew. Perhaps, I don't know. I never made that phone call. And if I was hindsight, I could have made the phone call, invited him to the wedding, no doubt, and had a little instead of what we had for the centerpieces, little motorcycle cops. I don't know. Anyways, one of those things we fantasize about and talk about things. But uh, what an amazing introduction to my life in Christ that God would be to give me a sign that I've asked for. So going back to the story of Gideon, God called on Gideon to do some amazing, miraculous things. He defeated the Midianites with 300 guys with, armed with torches. It's possible that Gideon could have said, no, I'm not going to do that, Lord. I am too afraid. I'm too, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. And nobody likes me. He could have said, no, I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. Oh, but mighty hero, the Lord is with you. God would say to you and me, God would say, that we need to get out of our comfort zone. Because as we walk with God long enough, we get in a certain level of pattern that says, I read, I pray, I do these things. I show up to church every Sunday morning on Wednesday morning, and I'm good with that. But sometimes God needs to get us out of our comfort zone in order to grow us in our faith, in our understanding of how amazing our God is. In order to do that, sometimes we need to obey the calling that God has in our lives. Because, in a sense, 
not only did God call us to be Christians, called us to be believers, called us to be forgiven, and we're thankful for that. And we know that we're not to serve to be saved, but we're served because we're saved. Big difference. And so I would encourage each of you tonight that if you're not in a place where God is using you, find out where God can. There's a music ministry going to take place next Wednesday. Perhaps if you're interested in some of those things, or there's the um, something happening next Saturday, I believe, in the middle of the church here where it's 10 a.m. They're going to carve a bunch of cars up for kids. I don't know if they have enough help. I can't imagine they do. Talk to Vanessa. Also, I can imagine that she doesn't have enough helpers there to teach on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or those type of things. So children's ministry is often a great place to be introduced into a place where you can share the gospel with audience who is forgiving. So I don't know how to share the gospel. That's a great place to start. Or we have ushers, greeters, and I'm sure if we talk to the leaders of those ministries that, do you guys have enough people to serve? They would say, absolutely not. I love a conversation I have with Kevin. If you, Kevin, who serves here in many ways, different things he does on campus. A while back, we were having a conversation as he was, I would stay late on Monday nights because these kids like to, hang out and have fellowship afterwards. And he would be trying to encourage us to say, hurry up, guys, I want to leave. I have to lock up the gates when you leave. And I'm just waiting here for you. <laughs> and I said to him, here's a cool thing that uh, was probably around Thanksgiving that uh, I said this to him is that uh, it's not that you have to lock up the gates. It's that you get to lock up the gate. There's a difference because you having if you have to lock up the gates, that's a burden. But if you get to, because you're serving, because you're engaged into what God is having you to do in your faith, you get to lock up the gates and you get to do the different ministries you do around here. Because what's the opposite of I get to? You can. As in, perhaps your faith is not in a good place. Or perhaps you're physically unable to. I get to serve the Lord. And that's a great place. To I think John would have you guys pray together and encourage one another. And so if there's a, if there's here people here tonight that maybe this spoke to you about getting out of your comfort zone, finding out where to serve, maybe there's questions, there's doubts. Maybe there's things that you need to discuss with fellow believers. Don't leave. I'm here, I'll be here to answer any questions if you have any. I hope that I've encouraged you in some of these things. Getting is a great example. To help us get out of our comfort zone. Amen. So let's pray. We'll have some worship and then let's have some fellowship. And Heavenly Father, we come here. We know that you're an amazing God who answers prayer, continues to show us how amazing you are by signs. No, sometimes healing people, opening doors closing doors, relationship, family members who give their lives to the Lord, friends that give their lives to the Lord. 
Lord, I pray that we'd be people who would be used by you, who would be the people who would say, I get to serve. Lord, I pray even right now, may your spirit speak to our hearts, our minds, to help us to know you more intimately. Help us to grow in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.